Welcome back to a brand new episode of Full Metal RPG, episode 45. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion, and with me today, as always, is my co-host, the best GM I ever met, Adam Sink. What up? Not much. How's everyone doing? I guess everyone being you and all of our listeners. (laughs) Well, I can't speak for them. But I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, man. What about you? You've been a little under the weather, huh? I have been a little under the weather. I caught whatever that flu is that's been going around, and man, that thing, uh, that thing kicked my ass for about three days solid. That that flu has been kicking almost as much ass as Jerry Cocaine, but yeah, not 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 quite. It's been pretty rough. I'm finally getting <laughs> over it, but I still have a little sinus congestion throat thing going so on. So that's Adam, guys. That's not my shitty mixing. So yeah, if you hear me doing like the lunger cough this. or whatever, that's that's why. All right. Cool. Well, you ready to do this thing, man? You ready to talk about role-playing games? I'm ready to talk about role-playing games. Always talking about role-playing games. So I guess... um. This episode will start off with a little bit of business, and it's it's sad business. It's sad business, and I wouldn't bring it up except I've had a couple people ask. A couple people have inquired to me recently. They're like, "What happened to Ben? Ben's never on the show anymore." And um, unfortunately, Ben is not feeling so hot, guys. Ben has had some medical troubles, and don't worry, it's nothing like super serious like you'd see on like a lifetime movie or nothing it's yeah, not, it's not like a house that. episode yeah yeah it's nothing 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 like we're not like sitting around his bed like crying and wringing our tissues or nothing but he's just not he's he's not well enough to 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 keep up with his duties at full metal rpg and you might think to yourself what fucking full metal rpg how many fucking duties could there be well well let me tell you we do we do try to run a sort of tight ship here, sort of. Uh, we you got to be able to run games, and you got to be able to you know. So you have something to talk about because I I just decided like a couple of years ago that we weren't going to be a fucking podcast about guys who had opinions about running games but didn't run games. So you got to be able to run games, and Ben's not well enough to do that right now, and. Um, you gotta be able to make these social appearances, these like kind of public appearances that you know. As we're into our like third year now, and the number of those just keeps going up. It doesn't go down; it just keeps going up. So, um, when Ben's feeling better, we're gonna um, invite him back to the show. But for the time being, he's decided to kind of like recede into the background, much like a vampire with Obfuscate Five. He's just crossing his arms, putting them over his chest, and. Step in the back corner of the, the nightclub, and he's going to let us all play for a little while. But he'll be back when he's feeling better. So if everybody could just wish Ben a speedy recovery. I know I do. Um, I love Ben. He's one of my best friends in the entire world. There's no weirdness or animosity here. It's not one of those things. If you were listening and you are like, I wonder what happened to that guy. I wonder if they had a falling out. It's not like that at all. He's a very close, dear, personal friend of mine. I see him literally almost every day. And I'm just uh, hoping he gets better soon so he can come back and entertain you guys with his, his fresh takes. Fresh takes. So, um, Adam. Yes. What have you been playing lately? I have been continuing to play my uh, Mutant Year Zero game at the Game Depot role-playing club. So How's we, that going? That's going pretty well. Uh, we had a, a light turnout last time. Um 
we had we had half the number of players we usually do. It was a a light week at my table as well. Yeah, it was kind of light overall, and uh, and so we we sat down to run through that, and um, yeah, that's been an interesting game just to, just in the terms so? of the ebbs and flows of it. It's uh with the zones and the sectors. We talked about this a little bit last time. With the right. zones and the sectors, it's it's got kind of like a free form kind of feel to it. So I tried to populate some stuff into it but it still does have random generated events like on this one we had oh, a yeah. threat that came out that they drew a card on and it was there's a monster um people have seen a monster roaming around and so and what so, was the monster did they find out so the monster was um there were two choices one was like this uh this giant radioactive hog thing that would have just killed everyone like this thing was a beast <laughs> uh and the other thing was uh this this creature called a bitter beast it's like this bear this like bear monster um and so they, I, I let them find it in its lair when it was kind of like slumbering and, and holed up in the lair. And they jury rigged a, a car and then they, with some spikes on the front and stuff, and then they just rammed it with it. <laughs> and, uh, it's and like an started. episode of the A-Team. Yeah. It's like every episode of the A-Team is the car with the spikes. Yeah. And so they uh, they started attacking this. They killed it and before it even had a chance to attack them back. Um, executed that, dealt with it, and then they went off to kind of go into the wastes and they found this guy who was out kind of wandering around selling clean water. Clean water is very hard to find out there. Most of it's radioactive or contaminated. They brought him back to their base and they had to deal with one of the bosses who wanted to kill the guy and take his little, uh, uh, still like his, his distillation rig and for his own. So they had to put that, put an end to that. And then they went out and they found this, Hang on now, but was there a, a quandary about do we buy the water from this guy or do we take over the water? Or was he just willing to join up? Um, so he actually was just wandering through and they were happy oh. to let him continue to wander through because the one constant has been they try to avoid combat as much as possible. <laughs> um, so they were just like completely craven. Yeah, they were just like, we don't, well, not necessarily craven. They were like, we don't want to fight this guy. He's clearly wandering out here by himself. He's got to be really tough, so we don't want to take that on. Um, so they brought him back. They bought some water from him, and they let him go on his way and dealt with the the boss character who wanted to kill this guy and take his stuff. I think there's like a really ethical kind of dilemma here of, of well, should I have to buy water? You right. know? And like, what does this guy owe the society that's around him and the other people he encounters? I mean, he's like, first of all, like, what can he buy? Like, what's money? I mean, I bullets. guess, like, oh, he wants bullets. Bullets are money. In the bullets game, are bullets money. are money. Oh, okay. So, oh, all right. So, <laughs> did, did these kind of, like, ethical, like, economic quandaries come up? Or was it basically just a, I bet that guy has a lot of bullets. We don't want to fight him. I think it was, we don't want to fight him. And are we really comfortable killing this guy when he hasn't, like he was very friendly to them and didn't show any signs of hostility towards them. Um, and so there was a question of, do we want to kill this guy for no good reason? Um, well, I mean, there kind of is a good reason, right? Which well, is yeah, that to they, take you his want, stuff. You want to take his stuff right. so you can like use it for the entire camp. And he obviously won't surrender it for the camp right. because he wants to trade it for bullets. Right. Right. He he controls the means of production. Yeah. And they let him go on his way. And he said, well, you know, I, I see on your map that you showed me that there's a spot marked clean water. I'm going to go out there and investigate it and I'll come back. And if I find equipment to build another one of these stills, I'll build it for you and bring it back to your to your base for you. Huh. Um, That's kind of interesting. So did they just let him go? At yeah, that they point? just let him go. Huh. Did uh, as, as, as a GM, I would have probably been inclined to make the next phase of the adventure kind of like them going with him as a sort of like 
I mean, it's gangsterish, but you are in like a state of nature. You know, your your characters are like a pack in a certain way. Yeah, if right? you do that, you end up surrendering um, your arc projects, and so you won't make any progress on those. It, there's like all these mechanics in the game about like progressing the arc and building it forward, and you're kind of leadership in a way of the arc, and you decide oh, how you're it develops. The and you, you get to decide what the next project is that the arc works on. And so at the beginning of every session, you sit down and you go, what are we working on this time? And each player can decide to work on their own thing or you can call a vote and just work on one thing. And everybody rolls towards resolving that one thing. And that allows you to increase things like your warfare rating or your technology rating or your culture rating or your food rating. So what if, like, okay, but it's just majority rules. So say you have five players and three of them say we work on the group project and two of them say I want to work on my independent projects. Then the th- then the two have to surrender working on their independent projects. No, they can go work on the independent projects if they really want to. They oh. can just say, "Forget the group. We're not doing what you guys want to do." Oh, that's, the idea oh, is you make you make progress much faster if you all work towards the same goal. But if for whatever reason you don't agree with the group, you don't have to do that. Oh, that there's there's a fascinating political component to this mm-hmm. game. Oh man, yeah, there's the- some really interesting politics that go on with it. And so there's, I want to get more. Uh, what I've noticed is. I've been kind of neglecting the arc aspect of it as I played in favor of exploring the zones. And next session, I want to really focus on the politics of the arc um, and what's going on in the arc because they're basically doing these projects and then leaving for long periods of time yeah, and then coming back. And after this last uh, little session, they went back out into the wastes and they got lost um, and their tracker uh, got grievously injured. Their stalker got grievously injured and they had to try to find him a safe place and they found this school that looked untouched and they went inside of it and like needless say long story short there's like little demon evil kids like that are that are trapped in the village of the damned kind of shit yeah village of the damned kind of thing with glowing eyes that are like stuck in this in this room they couldn't leave with this projector that was running oh um, that's creepy showing like all of these macabre images of like was that you or was that in the was that like a card that's me (laughs) (laughs) it's not a horror game though yeah it's not a horror game i know (laughs) everything's a horror game and so um you know and if they go into the boiler room they'll find the cause of all of this but they of course they the found boiler it room and they knocked over the projector and the evil demon the little evil demon kids like stood up and then they were just like nope <laughs> and so true to form and anytime that anything goes wrong in this game everybody's like we're getting out it's time to go i find that refreshing in a certain sense because i hate it when every the 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 gut reaction is let's fight it well, let's fight yeah. it. Let's fight it. Like, oh, come on. Are you guys for real? This ain't rifts. It's been pretty fascinating, though, just because it's like I, I see these little things, and then it's like, oh, okay, there's that's like the seed to get you to dig deeper, like the one where they captured the guy and he was in the basement, the seed to get you to dig deeper. And they're like, nope, don't want to dig any deeper. Plenty unhappy with what I've already uncovered. <laughs> oh, yeah. So essentially what you're telling me is these guys would just, they wouldn't want to do a Cthulhu game. Like basically, at all. no. This, and, this is... and evil stuff always happens in basements is basically what, what, uh, right, yeah, what that, the rule of thumb that, is. That it's... is a recurring motif is yeah. don't go down a level. Yeah, it's worse down, down level, there. It's, it's more evil. It's not going to get less evil. It's worse. <laughs> um, How about yourself? Let's see. Okay, well, we had kind of a, a light turnout to the to the club also at the old LOTFP table, and um, because I had expressed that I felt like the players were getting a little like you know 
frustrated with the scenario, I was inclined to bring it to a rapid conclusion. So I kind of, you know, did a little one of those little three-card Monty kind of things with the map, and I moved the final room closer, and I merged some stuff and moved some stuff around, and um, they got a bunch of NPCs to go down there with them to clear out all the dog-sized toads that were lurking on this island. And so the NPCs were, you know, I was rolling dice for them, just kind of making ad hoc rolls and the NPCs were doing a really good job clearing out the dog-sized toads. So then um well, this is the way what I described as the avatar of the demon god that the temple had been consecrated to then came up over the mountain. He had been like resting down there with the cultists. This this vacant temple all the cultists were down there in the belly. And what the book wants what the book wants you to do is that the the cultists have all been in this spawning pool. And they, they're turning into toad things. So, but what I did was, like, you know how toads have all these, like, warts and shit on them, these big fucking gross right. bumps? Like, uh, the, the cultists, like, heads were inside the bumps, and the bumps were translucent, and you could see that the, through the translucent, like, flesh of the toad god, the, the avatar was transforming them into anthropomorphized toad beings. That's gross. I thought I thought it was I thought it was fun, and um, I described like reality kind of bending around the toad, and you could kind of like because because I, I did want it to play up the fact that it was an avatar, and and uh, you could like see like these like flickerings of different planes and different times, and even like pathways into different areas of the campaign setting as he moved forward, kind of like this aberrant being that should not have been in the prime material plane. And they fought it, and uh, I, I want to issue a caveat here that, like I've said, I really only have two regular players, and I didn't think that the second one was going to show up. He showed up really late, so he it was like it was like six thirty. I was basically talking to my one player about what the next game was going to be, and um, then he showed up, and so we played through the fight, and uh, basically it was like the in, the leader of the NPC cult, because all the other cultists got killed. And uh, the two PCs and the Toad Avatar killed them all. And they thought for a second, because they were doing one of those conversations. It was kind of funny watching them have that conversation. They were having one of those conversations about, oh, God, uh, should we get out of here? And then they, they, they conferred with the NPC. They're like, NPC, what should we do? And the NPC is, I'm playing him as like a cultish fanatic of like the opposing demon god. Right. And he was, and he wasn't going to leave. He's like, he's like flaw frothing at the mouth. and like, ah, I will not bend a knee. And he's like, he starts like fucking attacking this thing with an ax. And so they're like, this guy's nuts. And they, and they were like, maybe we should just leave him. We got tons of gold like up top side. We should just go up there and get the gold and leave. Everybody's dead. But then they decided to kind of, I think they felt bad. I think maybe they liked the NPC. I don't know. They kept fighting the toad and uh, it killed them all. And um, there was this part of me at at the front end of that that was like, like as it was happening, I was like, shit. Uh, This is the part where if I was playing like a vampire game, I'd like do something to prevent this from happening. Right. You know, Um, because this is like shitty narrative. Like, nobody reads a novel, and, like, on page 499, it goes, and then they all died, and then the end, unless it's, like, Game of Thrones. You know, that's it. Uh, So I was like, this isn't a very good story. But then I was like, yeah, but this is Lamentations of the Flame Princess. You gotta do this. No one fudges dice in Lamentations of the Flame Princess. No one has deus ex mechanica in Lamentations of the Flame Princess. You kill them. So I killed them all. Right. 
And then I was like, well, I mean, I guess. I mean, it made, left me feeling kind of weird. I was like, I was like, is this was this satisfying? Was this not satisfying? So, um, I uh, kind of walked away from it feeling like I had lived up to the to the expectation of an OSR GM of kill them all, like God sort them out. Right. But also feeling like I had failed as a narrative GM, which is that you know, always leave an opening for another session. And I think I said something to that effect on the old FMRPG Instagram. And, uh, um, fucking mad skills GM, uh, he, he goes by the screen name on, on Instagram, uh, Tim Jong Illist. He runs, he runs so much DCC. And if you're on Instagram, you know him. He's a, he's a great guy. Fucking amazing. And, um, he hits me up on there and he goes like, and he gave me the story seed that I needed to continue. He's like, well, what about this? And so we're going to take a little break from Lamentations. We're going to do a six session Vampire the Masquerade second edition game. And then we're going to go back to Lamentations. Cool. That sounds good. Which I'm stoked for. I'm stoked Yeah, for. I thought about doing a Dark Ages game at some point just because I really miss Vampire Dark Ages. But it's one of those do things it. where it's like. Yeah, I don't know. I thought our whole, like, I always thought like our plan was to run modern stuff that people hadn't had interactions with. Well, yeah, but by then I'll be doing something else. Yeah, so. yeah, true. Just wait. Just just do another like six sessions of mutant, and then you can do dark ages. Yeah, just well, hand it off. It depends. We'll have to see how how if mutant still if mutant keeps going well. I, that, I have a hard read on the players for that one. I that, don't know if they're enjoying it or not. That game sounds so compelling. Every time you talk to me about it, every time I look at the books, and we were sitting there before the game, the session started, and I was looking at some of the books, and I was like, "This game's fucking amaze balls! I gotta own it." And at the time, there was they were like Modifius over in England or whatever. Yeah, running was, had, a sale. Had that sale. They announced their video game version of Mutant Year Zero. Right. And so the sale was to com- coincide with the video game version, which is much more Gen Lab Alpha than it is Mutant Year Zero. So I'm not exactly sure where they're going with it. And then on top of it, like in the video game, they're like they're shooting all the time, and I'm going, bullets are money mm. and commodity in the game. Like you, you don't shoot in this game. Maybe they're shooting rubber bands. Yeah, maybe, I'm kidding. Yeah. It was lasers, I think. But oh, even lasers? still, it was just like I don't Freaking like this. Lasers. I don't like the way that you gamified. Yeah. Turn this into a video game. If you had made it more like exploration, more like the actual game Mutant Year Zero, I would have gotten behind it. But as it stands, it wasn't very compelling. Well, I had been all set to buy a bunch of the stuff that was on sale. And then I got to the cart, <laughs> and it was like, shipping's 50 bucks. Yeah. And I was like, are you fucking for real? That's like not even a discount. Mm-hmm. So I cleared the cart, and I went, and I left. And then we were at the at the game store later and you were like yeah man these fucking mutant year zero books are actually kind of a pain in the ass to get here in america and i and and like adam adam i don't want you to judge me here but mm-hmm. i i inside i thought to myself how can that be how can that be uh it's modifius it's a big company like it's yeah i'll go online i'll find one no problem guess what spoilers you can't yeah, it's a they're fucking, pain in the ass to find. Pain in the you ass know to how find. I know because I tried to find all of them, and it was a <laughs> pain in the ass to find. It's such a pain in the ass to find. It's like uh, you can't just go on Amazon and get one. I think like on Amazon they're like hugely marked up. Uh-huh. On eBay they're hugely marked up. Yep. You basically have to get them from Britain and like pay exorbitant shipping to get these fucking things. I should have bought the goddamn discount. What There's was I one other site that I can cue you into that. That you might be able to find them. Well, on, hit, so. the, hit up the listeners. Well, they're uh, pro- it's it's uh, it's called GameNerds.com. Game and I nerds. think it's nerds with a Z. I want to say it's nerds Z. with a Z or something. But anyway, like 
I've seen them have the mutant stuff before as well. Um, and the problem with that site is they are so hit or miss with inventory and stocking. Yeah. But their shipping is usually pretty reasonable. Um, and they've usually got it. If you, I don't recommend going there to get like most of your stuff. It's one of those like online discounty type of places yeah. that's trying to undercut everybody. Right. But like, if you can't find it anywhere else, go there and you should be able to find it. It's where I found um, the ocean based one that I couldn't find anywhere else. The, Deep Six, the, Deep Horizon. Yeah, the whatever the the ocean yeah. one I let you borrow. That was the only place I could find that book, and I actually found it there as ding and dent for like. It was stupid cheap. And like you wow. look at it, it's not even that beat up. It's a little beat up, but it's not beat up enough to what, what they charged me for it. By the time I paid for it and shipping, it was still like five bucks undercover. It was ridiculous. That's awesome. I mean, I'm going to have to get on Dave and Patty to get me one because I want one of these Mutant Year Zeros. After you've talked about it so much, I fucking can't wait to run it myself. I want to run that water setting because I yeah, love water se- cool. settings. And I'll, uh, I'll be reviewing it more in depth at a later date too, oh yeah so, we'll have a review for that for you yeah because i want to put certain. my thoughts together like i did for uh and after having played it like i did for uh, uh death frost doom and put that out there for people to read to see if it's something that they're interested in definitely now um i also played some more road trader just yesterday nice <laughs> oh my god dude that game it's so weird it's just we, bonkers we just ran into all these problems of like uh each different book in the road trader set like it has different information in it. And so if you're going to use road trader material that isn't directly out of the core book, you have to have a nearly encyclopedic like understanding of how that game works and how it functions and how the different rule books relate to one another, which right now, and I'm not dogging our GM, I'm not dogging him, but I am going to say in all honesty, tough love. He does not have that encyclopedic knowledge. And, uh, it shows when it's like we try and figure something out because all these rules are contradictory and we'll have like three people at the table and like nobody has the same interpretation of what's going on. But isn't that kind of the way it is with these kind of like weird war games that are like, <laughs> like I remember Infinity just watching people like shuffle through books and that and getting into arguments about, well, it says here and it says over. And so it was. And, and I think Infinity's ironed itself out quite a bit. So I don't know. I mean, yeah. maybe that's. But I mean, they had to the release a edition. second book for it, right? Yeah. Like, they had to release a, a second, second book edition. to iron it out to go. Okay, we fixed it. Whereas but, Rogue Trader is just like, hey, it's still Rogue Trader, right? And that's the thing about playing this like super old game. I mean, it's given me a lot of really interesting perspective on what Warhammer is now and where it came from and like why things are the way things are. Um, it's just it's 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 just fascinating to kind of get into that. Yeah, even at the table, there's a lot of guys who are sitting there going like, "Oh, they're on eighth edition now. Why they just want to re- make money, and you make money by selling new editions." And it's like, look, we've all played games where the new edition has been a cash grab. It's always it happens. But but the fact of the matter is is over thirty years. That's not that bad. There's like eight editions isn't bad, and there's been legitimate systemic changes that improve play. That's how I felt about Dungeons and Dragons. It was just like it was never. I never felt like new editions of that game were just like these ridiculous cash grabs. They were so long between them. Yeah, and they were, and they're all distinct. They're all distinct. You know, I mean, they might run on similar engines, but. 
you couldn't just pick up a fourth edition book and like run it with a second edition book. Right. There's a whole iteration of the rule set in between those two. In between There's those two, two iterations things. of the rule set between those two. Oh, three and three dot five. Uh, three and three dot five were so tonally yeah. different that it was. They, I, I disagree. They were almost identical. They oh, just really because I all- remember <laughs> playing three and just like looking at it and going like, "This game is bonkers broken." Well, I mean, yeah, but so was three dot five. Three dot five was, was less so was bonkers broken than three. Three was they, I, they ironed out some stuff, and for instance, they put into three dot five that you needed a battle grid to do it. Because I remember when we got our three 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 point books, I remember sitting down with Ben and the Warlord Amanda and trying to play the game, and I was like, "Guys, we need a grid map. This is and, impossible. I don't yeah, know what's going we on. We absolutely have to have a grid map. All this shit about like, oh, will my five feet from the orc or not? And like, and then you know, a few months later, the three point five books came out." or whatever and it right. was like no you need to grid I just remember shit. somebody coming up to me with their 3.0 fighter character and they were like at 5th level I can uh, one shot a dragon and decapitate it you and know, I was you, like what? You, you just, yeah, yeah and now there's like Pathfinder players that just do that same thing that's basically all that Pathfinder is, right. is people just sitting there like doing math Pathfinder anyway, 2.0 is coming out coming out soon Pathfinder 2.0 they're, yeah. they're soliciting feedback on it oh it's they not, are there's nothing in it that would drag me back into the orbit of Pathfinder. I am going to pick up the core book. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Well, I have all these other you. ones here. I'm just going to put it in the pile, whatever. You know, I'm going to have it to have it, you know? Uh, here's the thing. Some of the innovations that are going to be in Pathfinder 2 are present in Starfinder 1, which you and I are giving away today. Oh, oh snap. <laughs> We know who won it, don't we, Adam? We do know who won it. But we're not going to announce it yet. Not yet. Soon. We're going to tease you a little bit. Soon. We're going to tease those tender, tender spots. All right. So um, you bought anything recently, dog? Um, you collecting anything, man? I went and I got uh, the White Dwarf with the Gene Stealer Cults for Necromunda because that interested me. I wanted to oh, run Gene Stealer Cults. And so I got a couple more Gene Stealer Cults things because my kids wanted to paint the ones I already had. And I was like, well, I'm not going to let you do that. So I will get your own and you can go Lol. paint those and mess them up. And all. And so uh, I've been looking at the Gene Stealer Cult stuff, really kind of weirded out by the rules for that. It, and so, um, yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. It's like a lore-wise standpoint. You know what, man? Look, just come play Rogue Trader with us sometime. I'm sure you'll be like craving the well-structured sanity of current <laughs> necromunda you'll be like at least it makes sense it, do- it doesn't it's not that it doesn't make sense but it's one of those ones where i was like you ke- there's no model for this like i don't know how you get this like how do you even make this and it was just one of those ones where i was like i don't even know <laughs> i'm gonna have to buy like three sets to make this one leader figure because the weapons that they give him access to don't come with that oh, that's model. only that's only if you care about using yeah. the exact one. WYSIWYG, like, yeah. What do you? No, no, no. You can like, okay, what? You're missing a whip or something, right? It's uh, yeah. There's a whole bunch of stuff, dude. I, there's okay. For there's instance, so much just, stuff to just go off the deep end. Just, just as an example, mm-hmm. Dark Eldar scourges come with a whip. I need this Dark Eldar scourge hand, and you got a whip. Yeah, you have a whip if you there's, buy one of the acolytes too. But it's like they want you to give it, I think, to the neophytes, and it's just like, why would the neophytes have access to Tyranid bioweapons? They're three or four generations removed. Don't worry about it. Just pat, play the whip. Yeah. Put the whip on them. I know. They want the whip. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see what have I bought recently. Um, 
You know, okay, so I wanted to run uh, Trail of Cthulhu for a home game. I wanted to get a home game started again because my home game life has just felt, like, really neglected. So um, I wanted to do a deep horror game. I wanted to do one of those lights off, everybody's creeped out games. And I was like, I don't know, I've been kind of tripping on Pelgrane lately. I've just been buying Pelgrane books. I mean, like, seriously, the all the role-playing books I'm buying right now are Pelgrane. 13th Age, Trail of Cthulhu, um... A homie on Instagram, uh, Bardic Tales, reminded me that I have Knights Black Agents, which is also Pelgrane. I could probably get some more of that. Um, I don't know. I've been really, really digging it. And so um, I thought to myself, oh, I'll run Trail Cthulhu. Uh, Bardic Tales had told me, oh, you should run the, um, the Final Revelation. It's a really grim setting. So I picked that up. I also picked up, it takes place in England, like London, so I picked up Bookhounds of London, and I wanted to merge those two books and make it like a Bookhounds of London game and see how it all worked, and it's a very interesting, it's a very, very interesting module. It's a super great little campaign. I would love to run it. It's like very edge-pushing, because the idea of the final revelation is it took four adventures that had been published in other places and consolidated them down into a campaign, but the way that it works is it publish a fifth adventure that's like an overall meta campaign and so your 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 character that you make is in the is in the meta campaign right and as they're discovering clues it essentially unlocks flashbacks in which you play pre-made characters from these other little adventures and you have to play through all four of them to get to the end and that obviously takes us a certain kind of player who over the course of a campaign is going to play like five different characters and four of them are going to be pre-made so they don't really have a whole lot of say in I mean, I'd probably let people move things around a little bit and change the names and stuff if they wanted to but um it takes a certain kind of player it takes a lot of buy-in I was really looking forward to doing it and then uh, someone who's very close to me um, and knows me well kind of gently pointed out that I have this way of running really hot and taking on too many projects and then burning out and spending a couple months like laying on the couch sleeping before I start picking up my projects again. And uh, because things are going so well with the podcast, I was like, fuck, I shouldn't do that. So I won't be running Trail Cthulhu. Um, I'll instead be dedicating myself to producing high-quality podcasts. Sounds good. Or at least mediocre quality yeah. podcasts. And, and mediocre quality Friday Night Role-Playing games. <laughs> well, yeah, and th- those as well. Those as well. You're welcome, Tempe. That's all right. Um, all right, great. So that's what we've kind of been up to. Um, I guess, uh, Adam, do you want to you wanna tell the, the listeners about our sponsor? All right. So our sponsor is the Game Depot in Tempe, where we run our Friday Night Role-Playing game from. So thank you, Dave and Patty, who generously gave us a copy of the Starfinder Core Book to give away a ridiculously huge and lavish tome with high production quality and values. It's a Paizo book. You know what you're getting, and you'll get a nice little preview into potentially Pathfinder 2.0. And so um, it's a gorgeous game. It's a game I've looked at myself. I, I haven't quite bitten off the uh, the $60 price tag on that one yet. Um, looking at it, it's one of those ones where I'm like, ooh, that's tough, but... It's gratis today. We are going to gift it to one of our Instagram followers who uh, f- who came onto our contest and he followed us, liked the post, and reposted the post. Uh, and so, without further ado, we're going to list 
our giveaway winner. Are you ready, Brendan? Oh, dude, I'm ready. Adam, I'm in suspense. Tell me who wins the brand new $60 hardcover Starfinder core book donated by Game Depot in Tempe, Arizona, where the Friday Night Role Playing Club plays every other week. This week, we will be there the 16th. Who gets it, Adam? I see you quiver and anticipate. <laughs> Patient. <laughs> Lol. Our winner is Darth Daddy. Darth Daddy. Claim- Congratulations, Darth Daddy. Congra- You're the big winner con- of the Starfinder core book. Congratulations, motherfucker. Claim your core book. Hit us up on the Instagram. We're going to need that shipping address so we can get that into your hands and you can start exploring the Pathfinder Cosmos sooner rather than later. I, you you got to start finding the stars. You gotta it's called Starfinder. Exactly. Go find them. Exactly. They're out there. Yeah, and I, I got to say I'm envious because the game does look beautiful. It yeah, does it, look beautiful. It's a really gorgeous game. Like all Paizo games, it has incredibly <laughs> high production values. Can't argue with it. And thank you so much to Dave and Patty at the Game Depot for uh, making this giveaway possible and for helping us with the show. Uh, Game Depot is a great store, uh, family-friendly, community-oriented. We play there. They've got board games. They've got war games. They've got role-playing games. They've got a huge selection of dice. Card games. you got the card game action. Come on down to Game Depot in Tempe, Arizona. Find us. Play games with us. We're looking forward to seeing you there. All right. With All that right. bit of bookkeeping done, are we going to head into intermission? Oh, uh, yeah. We'll go ahead and take a little intermission. And when we come back from the intermission, I have a review. My inaugural review in which I review Fever Swamp. It's intermission. Oh, yeah. It's in. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to Full Metal RPG. I'm Brendan Carrion, and today I got a little review for you. It's a book called Fever Swamp. And without any further ado, we'll begin. Fever Swamp is a hex crawl adventure written by Luke Gearing and published by the Melsonian Arts Council, which is also responsible for the creation and distribution of The Undercroft, the superlative lamentations of the flame princess zine. Fever Swamp weighs in at a breezy 26 interior pages, with game info printed on both the inside, front, and back of its hard cover. I discovered this book on Kickstarter back in, say, October something when I was just beginning my Lamentations of the Flame Princess campaign that ran up until very recently as part of a club at my local, favorite local game store. That adventure was a combination of the Croaking Fane, modified from its DCC stat line to accommodate S- Scenic Dunsmith uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess module. Both of these supplements had swamp themes and worked together well, so the concept of a drag-and-drop region that I could populate them in resonated with me. The Kickstarter funded and delivered rapidly with little uh, to do. I had already sort of forgotten about the game when one day a package from the Royal Mail showed up. I wasn't even expecting it. Before we begin, I think it's important to define the concept of a hex crawl. A hex crawl is a module that presents a map laid out on hexes for the party to explore. It's smaller than a continent or a nation, but larger than a typical village surrounded by woods motif that we all know. A hex crawl is like a module in that there are a lot of hooks for the party to explore and encounter, 
but unlike a module in that there is no story or linear plot. As our friend Diogo Norea reminds us, the plot will unfold as the characters take actions. So, the pros. The book is fast to read and easy to use. There's not an overabundance of descriptions, so you can get right into using it right away. The proper nouns and important aspects of each set piece are bolded for easy reference as you flip through the pages. Rather than overwhelming you with info about the specifics of the setting, each new thing is presented in a sentence or two that allows you as a GM the freedom to come up with the details of what you want to do and how you want to present the subject matter. There are a wide variety of things to do in the swamp, with a robust random encounter table. There are wandering undead, cultists, tribes, people, and outlaw enclaves, all along with the shit you would expect like alligators. Uh, the tribes people, which in lesser hands could have been portrayed in a really problematic way, instead come off as eerie and strange, adding to the feel of the setting without making you feel like some kind of bloody-handed imperialist for including them. Riffing on the horrific under undercurrent of LOTFP products, there are ample opportunities for postmodern takes on fantasy and plenty of room for creeping horror, all the way up until the moment when you stick a gore-splattered Hellraiser statue golem or a shambling mound of undead on the party. I come away from my LOTFP campaign bummed that I didn't get to run the subterranean temple in Fever Swamp because I think I actually prefer it to the one found in the Croaking Fane. The cons. I just wanted to be said that I don't have a lot of cons for this book, and my first instinct was to just give you pros and say that's that. I'm putting these in here for the sake of well-roundedness and to help you, the listener, make a more informed decision. So first, the art in this book is serviceable, but and I'm not down on it. I actually kind of like it. I do feel like it undercuts the ambience of the story, though. It reads a little cartoony at times, and I wish it had been darker, uh, like a little more brutal and challenging. Next, some of the plot points are a little tropey. I acknowledge that I was shoehorning two other modules into the map, and the Venn diagram-like overlap with those modules was one of the things that drew me to Fever Swamp in the first place. That said, it has a lot of the same stuff that these other books do. A sunken temple with a forgotten anim animistic god creature. A backwater cult that worships the deity that's forsaken them, for instance. Honestly, I'd wanted to use this book a little bit more heavily, but as the similarities with other source material I was using started to mount, I had to draw it down. My last point is peevish, because it's the absolute easiest thing to change, but the naming conventions in this book were in my opinion, not great. Again, it's the easiest thing to change, so it's a small gripe. But if you're just flipping pages madly, looking for an NPC to throw in, and you land on one of these dudes with the not great names, well, you can't just use them straight out of the book, is all I'm saying. Uh, who knows, maybe uh, you won't have the same problem I did. I ended up with the traveling Roma analog named Sloan, in, and in a moment of weakness, and I, I wasn't stoked. Overall, I give Fever Swamp a 5 out of 5, my highest recommendation. If you love swamps, toads, cults, southern gothic, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, go out and buy this book. You can find it for sale on melsonia.com for £16, which is like 22 bucks or thereabouts these days. There will be a link in the show notes. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to this review. Hope you found that somewhat informative. Sounds legit. Yeah, it's a good book, man, and I had a lot of fun with it. And uh, without trying to give away too much about where I plan to take it, because I 
plan on returning to that LTFP game, and I know that at least one of the players listens, I think I'm going to still get managed to wring some use out of this one. Cool. Yeah, sounds still. like a really solid piece of work. Let's check it out sometime. Oh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing is you should really check out all the Melsonian Art Council stuff, especially if you're an LTFP fan. I came upon the Melsonian Arts Council in L.A. I was going to a Strategicon. And this was just very shortly after after I discovered LTFP as a game. And at that point, there really wasn't a whole lot out. It was like the core book was out. Vorenheim was out, but it was out of print. A Red and Pleasant Land was out, but it was kind of difficult to find. And then there were a number of, of supplements, but I mean, you couldn't find them on stores anywhere. The OSR hadn't really like reached like even well-stocked game stores at that point. And so I encountered this dude named Mario Torres, who you might find on Instagram, called Misafont. That's the first time I met him, and he was just working this booth, and he was like, I was like, hey, is this LTFP stuff? I called it Lamentations. I was like, is this Lamentations stuff? He's like, oh, yeah, it's so great. He showed me all these zines. He showed me the Undercroft. He showed me uh, Vacant Ritual Assembly, Clint Krause's uh, LTFP zine. And he, and he did push me strongly even then even back then before i met jim miller he pushed me strongly towards dcc he's like if you're interested in lamentations of flame princess you really should look at dcc but to this day i still have never played a single episode of dcc i have a core book that i've never read um i did ask patty at game depot to order me a soft cover copy so that i can leave my beautiful kickstarter one just down here just looking beautiful and never soil it with my grubby unworthy hands um last time i was in i did see that it had arrived so i'll be picking that up shortly and joining the rest of the world in dcc so we'll see if i if i if i like you know abandon my love of ltfp we'll see yeah dcc's been one of those ones i've been meaning to pick up too it's just every time i see it i'm just like ah i, do, I just do that and like ah, next time i'll get it next time yeah it, you know and, and the thing the thing is is that at this point i don't feel like i can ignore it anymore you know i feel like i have to i, I have to pick it up well, it's really highly recommended by a lot of people I respect. So it's one of those ones where it's where I'm going. I, I need to get it sooner or later. A lot of people who I know when I game with really love it. You know, Michael Collette, Jim Miller, they really yeah. love DCC. And so yeah. it's, I feel remiss, like I like I have failed in my duty by not having bought that game. I've I played in a couple sessions of it, but that was about it. I even had somebody who's like not like a usual follower on the Instagram, like take me to task. When I posted a picture of the croaking fane, and he was like, "Sounds cool, bro, but you missed out by not running in DCC because DCC is the best." And yeah. I was just like, "The the the DCC players have said this this cult like fanaticism for it that I have to see what it's about. It's almost like when you're in a Cthulhu movie and you're like, I have to read the book. I have to know why did that guy peel off his own eyelids." What could possibly be in there? Why do all these people in Innsmouth look all weird? Yeah, I guess I'll go investigate. Yeah, there's just yeah, I have to know. I have to know. So that's that's kind of that's on the docket uh, to to learn to know. Um, all right, man, it's time for our new segment, dude. It's our new segment. What's your boggle? What is your boggle? What's my boggle? My boggle right now is uh, TPK is Adam. Total party kills. Total party kills adam so this was my first tpk i you know i've been game mastering for fucking like i don't know dude 20 years more whatever right. long time and uh 
I don't think I've ever really done one of these. I mean, you know, sometimes sometimes you're like when you're like in high school and you're like fucking around and it's like one of those late nights and you get like frustrated or something. You're like, oh, fuck you guys. You guys are all dead. And then you like storm out and right. then you never pick the game back up. It doesn't really count, I don't feel like. Uh, this was like a long running campaign and we had, the, you know, all the players earned their deaths in the game. They all made attacks and they all had the opportunity to leave. And it wasn't like I was trying to punish anybody because I was like upset at them personally you know, it, it just happened over the course of the game. And, and I just keep wanting to stress there were only really two players. Okay. So it was pretty easy party to kill. Yeah, totally. Statistically. You know, a couple um, bad rolls will do that for you. So have you done this, dude? So back when I was running Dungeons and Dragons a lot, Dungeons and Dragons four? three, five, and four, three, five, and four both had this idea of very strategic combat. Um, and, and challenge ratings and, oh, you know, yeah. designing the encounters to be level appropriate and that sort of thing. And you could design an encounter that was minus two levels. You could design an encounter that was plus two levels. And it was one of those things where it was a resource management thing. And so, yeah, rules-wise, I've done a total party kill where I've had the, the players come up against an encounter and then just failed to kill everything in the encounter before all of their hit points reached zero. Um, well, I mean, uh, wait. I feel like he just defined, like, in this incredibly mathematical way what a TPK is. Right, but I didn't kill them, right? Like, I, I stepped in at the last minute and was like, oh, they knock oh, you unconscious and take you prisoner. Oh, you did or, one of those. Yeah. You did one of those kind of, like, like, like GM Sleight of hand, right, kind of where it's like, like, oh, you don't actually die. They just take you prisoner. Oh, um, you wake in a cell. Right, because that's okay. one of those heroic role-playing games where I feel like if you're running a heroic role-playing game, as a GM, one of your jobs or goals is to be a fan of the characters. Um, and I'm not trying to be George R. R. Martin over here and, you know, go like, ha ha, nobody expected me to kill that guy, you yeah. know? And so I didn't, I, you know, I didn't kill their characters off because it was one of the, like, I like to have player buy-in before I kill their characters off when I'm running those type of games. Now, if I'm running a Call of Cthulhu type of game or or a more brutalist type of game, like even, you know, I'd say one of these, uh, a harsher, less weird post-apocalyptic game, um, I wouldn't really have a problem with a TPK, where it would just be like, oh, okay, well, you made some bad decisions, um, you did the thing you weren't supposed to do, and now you die. You know, there there are times where you put all the signs that are like, don't go this way, don't, don't head off into this area, don't go there, and the players go there anyway. Um, and so I feel like if it's one of those things where they just make a series of decisions like that, then it's I, I don't really have a problem with it. You know, in James Vale, I posted some stuff on Insta and on Facebook, kind of trying to get some like feedback from the community about what people thought about this sort of thing. And James Vale, he he sounded it off, and he had some similar things to say to you about that. About like it's like the players have to kind of like earn their deaths in a certain way, right. which is that they're, and if I'm misstating what, what James was saying, if I'm restating it in the I wrong way, I think I then, saw that post and it was pretty similar to my thoughts as yeah, well. Yeah. Which is that the players have to kind of like earn their deaths. I mean, but what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to earn your death? I think like, it's just as long as you're not doing it, as long as it's not random happenstance, like a series of just, Oh, I, I 
had some ones and now everybody's dead. Or if it's not just the GM kind of engineering a situation, impossible situation. Like if the players get themselves into a situation and they have truly just deserve to die at, you know, if I, like, you know, like if I run into a, a police station with a handgun and start going like, pew, 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 <laughs> yeah. like I deserve to get shot. You know what I mean? Like, I don't deserve to survive that experience. Um, you like go into Elysium and you like you've been dragged in there by the scruff of your neck and you like spit in the prince's face. Right. And, and he's like staked them out for the sun. And then you're and then your your players are like upset at you. They're yeah. Like, right. They're like, uh, what, why? Yeah. My character would have done that. And it's like, yeah. And then your character would have died. Yeah. And the prince would have killed you. you know, there's consequences and repercussions inside the context of the game world. That's what we're doing. Right, and that's always been one of those things about even looking back on Vampire having played it for as long as I did. One of the things that I never really leveraged was the the uh, tradition of the destruction. Like players would kill these NPC vampires all the oh, time, yeah. and the prince never—they were never dragged before the prince and have him go, "You killed this guy. I need you to explain why now, or I will kill you." And, yeah, <laughs> and I never did that, and yeah. it was one of those things looking back on it where I'm going, if I ran Vampire today, I would run it very differently. Oh where yeah, I'd be like, oh yeah, go ahead and kill that primogen that you don't like. Okay, now the rest of the city has you dragged in chains before the prince to answer for why you did it. Well, well he was mean to me. Well, hang okay. on, hang on. That that whole idea that you just that you just kind of spat out there is sort of like a hypothetical mm-hmm. is actually the foundation of a game, right? Yeah. Because because what you have to imagine is that the primogen is a uh seer is an alliance of kind of like like when you take a bunch of sticks and you're making a, a, yeah, a campfire and yeah. they're they're all leaning against each other. You pull one out and they fall they down. Crumble, yeah. Right? They, they they fall down. So uh, characters might actually be able to attack a primogen and kill him and and get sanctuary from someone else, but that's got to be part of the game. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like the because the because by like attacking the primogen, you are doing the the, the equivalent of almost like assassinating the governor of a state or something. You know, it's like it's really bad. Right. Um. But I've completely derailed the conversation. The the the, the point is is that like you've got to face the music for the shit that you do. Yeah. You right. Do. There right. has to be consequences, otherwise it's meaningless. And so that's one of those things where it's, yeah, if you have all the gold and there's like the crates cultist and <coughs> there's the evil toad guy and you want to follow the crazed cultist down to fight the evil toad guy, then okay, like you need to understand that you're fighting a god or as close to a god as you can get in the context of this game. It's probably not going to go so well for you. It's like if you were right. playing Dungeons and Dragons and you were a bunch of fourth level characters and... I'm like, well, yeah, they summoned Orcus, and you go, or Demogorgon, and you go, fuck that guy. Fuck him, I'm dude. I'm going to go fuck his shit up. You know, it's like, okay, then <laughs> yeah. I need you to understand you're going to die. Like, right. And in Dungeons & Dragons, it may be easier to, to get away with because you can go, okay, level 19, level 3 is like, do you, you know what I mean? Like, there's that at least that framework for All right. But, I mean... I don't know. I guess now we're just getting into this like weird rabbit's hole of like incredibly technical systems and stuff where it's like... But that kind of thinking is what leads players to do stupid things like attack the town guard. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, we're going to fight the town guard. And I'm like, really? You want to fight the town guard? Yeah, we're going to go to their their bastion and we're just going to kill our way through it. This is a classic thing. Uh, You encounter it in like almost every new group or very young group. 
this psychopathic drive to take over the town That's by murder hobo. killing the town guard. And it's like when a car- when a player puts you in that position, they've they've essentially given you this like ultimatum, right? Which is like it's me or them. Yeah, check me. Yeah, exactly. You, Witness it, me. It has to be them. Yeah. It has to be. Or you, you let them let- kill it, and then you've basically got this town that can the five players defend this town? No, they well, can't. Well, do they want to, or are they going to set up some kind of like weird like post-apocalypse, like anarcho-capitalist, like ubermensch ruled horrifying state that they want to live still, in. Even still, if is you do, the they have no about? control over it. That's one of the things I've often thought about is one of these days I need to just give the players that key and let them do it and go, uh, okay, now you're essentially like trying to run, you know, are, you're not Bane. You're not trying to destroy the society because Bane, when he took over Gotham, didn't have any interest in ruling it. He was happy to let the people go crazy. If you want to have any sort of authority, you're going to have to start setting up yeah, laws and the, rules. The guy who says, let's kill all the town guard, doesn't have any interest in becoming the mayor. He's just a Usually psychopath. Usually they do. Sometimes oh, they just want to the- take over. And it's like, okay, good luck. Try ruling this now. Try running this because it's five <laughs> of you trying to rule over a town. I feel like we're just talking about fascism. Like that's just like fascism in D and D. What are basically. the alignments of these characters? You just let them go nuts, and you're like, all right, Ugh. yeah. And then you start punishing them for alignment violations. I guess I don't. No, know. alignment violations. I don't know. Oh my <laughs> if god! They're you're just reminding me why I don't play D and D. Exactly. This is why I don't play D and D. Why people don't play it? Very I don't. Often. I can't deal with this kind of shit because I swear to God, I played in this D and D game for like fucking years where there was this guy who was, like, lawful good on his character sheet, but he basically played it lawful evil. And every time we tried to explain to him that he was, like, a lawful evil character, he was like, no, I'm lawful good. And it just was like this... Uh, That's what every lawful evil person says. Every <laughs> lawful evil person thinks they're I, lawful I good. I know, right? It's just, it, it, So the whole game became this this uh, out-of-game philosophy argument about, like, what the nature of good is and, like, why we have societies and all this shit, which had nothing to do with the actual game. We didn't get any adventuring done that was, like, worthwhile. You know, we just spent most of the time, like, arguing with this fucking high elf who was a racist. And he was always like, I won't. I won't sleep in the same building as humans. And he's like, you're, yo, you're Mr. Fucking Lawful Good, huh? Why you're... didn't you guys just slit his throat while he was sleeping? I don't know, man. I played in all these crummy games. I played in a bunch. I have, by this point in my gaming career, I've played in so many games that if I were to play in them now, I would play one session and then at the end I'd just stand up and close my book and say, all right, see you guys again. Never. I'm done. Peace yeah, good out. Luck. Yeah. You know, but that's just like hours of my life. I'm never going to get back. These yeah. guys, this is also back when you could still smoke inside buildings, oh, you know, nice. public yep. buildings. And there were like three or four like chain smokers and I would go home from, uh, from uh, role playing, and my like lungs would hurt. My, yeah. Like I'm not like, even kidding. My lungs my would hurt. Yeah. It was like as I I had just smoked like a pack of cigarettes, but I hadn't even had one. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, that that sounds about right. Yeah, so, yeah total party kills. It's I. It, there's no way around them. They're gonna happen eventually. And, and if it's yeah, if it's so. a satisfying conclusion, then cool. And if it's not, there's tools you have available to avoid it. But. Well, this shit was not a um, satisfying conclusion, so I'm stoked that Tim stepped in and kind of like helped me out. There, 
he's he's part of the DCC road crew, I think is what they call mm. him. And uh, you can see why he's like a well-known, like Great Lakes area player. I mean, nice. he is or, or game master rather, referee, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he's he's really good. He's really good. You know, so there's always there's always someone to um to learn from. You know, always someone to learn from. That's cool. Well, I guess that's our discussion of TPKs, huh? You know, sounds like it. You know, I'm I'm not a big fan of them. Um, yeah, I don't like doing it, but and, and I think having had this discussion and having talked to people about it, I probably wouldn't still pull the dice. I'm just happy that Tim showed me this workaround. But the next one's legit, guys, because you're fucking done after the next one. I mean, seriously, how many how many preposterous things can you? have happened anyway i i think i had i had lamented that my game hadn't been surreal for a while and this is going to allow me to bring some surreality back to the game cool so Sounds um good. all right man do you have any other business you want to discuss i got no business i'm yeah. good giveaway starfinder book we talked about tpks everybody's caught up on our bullshit all right, stoked, man. You want to take us out? You want to tell everybody where they can find us? Sure. So find us on Instagram, at FullMetalRPG. We're pretty active on there. It's a good place to get to us. You can find us on Facebook, FullMetalRPG. Look us up there. We've been a little more active on there as well, answering questions, posting things. We get some cross posts from uh, Instagram there as well. Um, not so much on Twitter, so... Don't really yeah, you know, we much. keep saying we're going to do it, yeah, and we keep and not we doing it. Do it. Yeah. I fucking I, hate Twitter, guys. I'm yeah, sorry. I just can't get my head around it. It's, I, it's a tough platform. I keep, I keep like, oh, I'll take ownership of that. And then every time I go on Twitter myself, I'm reminded how much I hate oh, that platform, yeah. and so I don't want to deal with it. It really blows. Let's just say, you know what, guys? We're never doing Twitter. Yeah, don't we're find ne- us on Twitter. You know don't what? look for us on Twitter. You're never going to see us. Well, yeah, that little bluebird of, of happiness can go off into the sunset. I I'm going to go on Twitter. I'm going to deactivate our Twitter because fuck Twitter. I'm there fucking sick of it. Just but let me tell you, up. man, like I, I do, I do like marketing in my day gig and I spend like hours on Instagram a day. Mm. Literally. There's only 24 hours in a day. I try to spend eight of them sleeping yet. I spend multiple hours on Instagram. So if you want to get a hold of us, you want to get a hold yep. of Instagram's Adam's the best it? way to do it. I'm on there as well. So find, find us, us on there. Instagram. You can find us at fullmetalrpg.com. We'll get the latest review up there as soon as we can. Post that up for you people to consume with your eyeballs. Holla. Holla. And then you can always email us. Fullmetalrpgofficial at gmail.com. Hit us up there. Let us know what you think. What do you like? What do you don't like? I am checking that email every damn day nowadays. And nice. let me uh, so so last point of business. This, we do have one last point of business. So right. if you listen through all that shit now you get the this last point of business. We've had a little bit of trouble with the shirts. That Yeah. A little bit of trouble. It's my fault. They've been popular. That suddenly they became popular again. People want the shirts again. So we we've got shirts in the works. Shirts are we're gonna replenish the web store soon. And then I'm gonna have a conversation with Adam after we're done recording this, and we may have some new shirts. We'll see what's going on. We'll cover your wretched torsos with our in- images and fabrics. Do it. So we're going to be working on getting those shirts up and available to you guys as soon as possible. Keep an eye out here. We'll let you know when we've restocked the store. Buy our shirts. Okay, great. All right. Hot. Thank well, you, everybody, for listening. Thanks for joining us for another episode. It's been great talking with you as always, and we look forward to seeing you out there. We'll see you next time. Have a good night. Good night.